Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We weren't here with us last week, but talking about staying on course, staying the course with God. And once you got saved, you got on the right course. Amen. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But first of all, how many of you know that salvation is really threefold? Past tense, present tense, and future tense. You were saved when you gave your heart to Jesus. You're being saved right now by the renewing of your mind. James 1.21 says to deliver us from our corrupt way of thinking. Being delivered, saved, saved from our corrupt way to think. And then our body will be saved someday. Anybody here looking for a glorified body? Mine's going to be 6'2", 200 pounds. Few alterations here or there. Full of glory. What about yours? Hallelujah. I'll never have to shave ever again. Never, never, never have to shave ever again. I've kind of wondered how many times I've shaved in my life. I've wondered how many hairs I've lost over the years. I'm not going to lose another hair ever, ever, ever again. He's counted them all. He knows them by number. He's numbered them all. That's different than knowing how many we have. He, know, he numbered them. Oh, there goes 457. Right? One day we'll have a glorified body, but that's future. We were saved when you gave your heart to Jesus. You're being saved from your corrupt way of thinking by renewing your mind. That's your soul to the will of God. And then thirdly, your body will be saved. It'll be glorified on that glorious day, praise God, when we meet him in the sky. I'd rather meet him that way than have my grave open. What about you? Just my preference. We talked about one's life is not measured by the duration of his life that means how long he lives on the planet but by the donation of his life the investments that he makes what are we investing in as we live our lives and why we're saying this at the beginning of this new year is because one day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account an oral discourse of what we've done in this body here upon the earth and how we lived our lives whether to please God or not please God. So we all are going to face what is called the Bema Judgment Seat of Christ, the platform where he sits and judges all of us according to our works. Nothing to do with your salvation, your works and your rewards. Okay, so what investments are we making? Number one, we talked about into the kingdom of God. Top priority, give Jesus your heart and life. Follow his will, his plan for your life. Invest in the kingdom of God. Advance the kingdom of God upon the earth in whatever way he calls you to. But we all have gifts, talents, and abilities. And we talked about that. That that have to be dedicated to the service of God. Secondly, second most important priority is in your marriage. If you're married. And we talked about the five purposes of marriage. Number one, to serve the Lord together. We see this in the garden. Number two, for love and companionship so that there's not loneliness. Number three, to rear up a godly seed. Number four, for sexual fulfillment. Number five, to paint a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Those are the five purposes of marriage we need to invest in. Next, we invest in our children's lives to train them up in the way that they should go. So when they grow old, they won't depart from that. And then we invest in the lives of other people, uh, family members, friends, serving our country, 
different ways in different things. But it's the investments that we make in life that are important. Thirdly, we talked about the fact that the Christian life is one of fighting, finishing, and faithfulness. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's fighting. Fighting. And why are we fighting? Because we have three influences coming against us to get us off our course with God. The devil, the world, and the flesh. And all three of these influences want to get us off our course with God. So we have to fight to stay on the course. And then he said, I have finished my neighbor's course. My course, Paul said. It's his course. It's your course. It's my course. We all have a course. We're all running the race. And it's up to us to finish. But we got to fight to do so because the last thing he said was, I have kept the faith that was once delivered to the saints. He kept the faith means what? He was faithful to do what God called him to do. How many of you know that Paul didn't have to do what God called Moses to do? Or anybody else to do? He was faithful to keep the faith once delivered to the saints. And he kept it as far as his life was concerned as well. So we pick it up from there and we go to Hebrews uh, chapter 12. We're going to read the first three verses that talks about the race that each and every one of us runs. But before we get there, let me say this. The book of Hebrews was written for a specific purpose. Hebrew Christians that were born again, serving the Lord, were being very much challenged and tempted to go back into Judaism. So I believe Paul's the writer of Hebrews. If you don't, that's okay. I do. I'm allowed to my opinion, right? And I believe he wrote it. And I believe at the very beginning of it, he was trying to get these people encouraged not to give up on Christ and not to recant or renounce their belief in his blood or his messiahship and to serve him faithfully. See, they were tempted. Why? Were they? Because they were persecuted, severely persecuted. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. They were turned over by their family to the authorities if they renounced Judaism and were baptized in the name of Christ. They suffered persecution like you and I have no clue that they suffered. And so now that many of them were trying to go back into Judaism. So he writes and says, look, God spoke in times past to the prop by the prophets of the fathers, but you know what? In these last days, he spoke to us directly by his son. And so he points out his son as being the one who's heir of all things, who made all things, who upholds all things by the word of his power. And then he goes on to say, and he is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the temple. He's better than the law. And so he's pointing out Jesus as being better than anything or anyone. Listen to him. And so he's trying to encourage them, don't forfeit your faith. Don't give up the faith. Don't be tempted to be drawn away from your faith and go back into Judaism. There's nothing there for you at all. All that pointed to Christ. And so now look what he says here in chapter 12, first three verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds." 
I want to take out some statements here from these three verses and share them with all of us this morning so as to help us stay on our course, fight our good fight, finish our course, and keep the faith. So let's begin with the first one. Notice he says, first of all, there's a cloud of witnesses. Sometimes we ignore that or neglect to look at that. What's a witness supposed to do? Testify. In a court of law, if you've been called or subpoenaed to go into a court of law, maybe you saw someone commit a crime or do something, you're there as a witness, and you're there to testify to the truth. These people were being tempted to go back into Judaism, thinking that there was something there for them. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at the grandstands of heaven. Look at all the witnesses that have gone on before all of you and all of us. Look at them. What's their testimony? These are individuals that got off the course that they were on for their lives and got on the course that God had for their lives and they finished their course, they completed the work God gave them to do and now they're in the grandstands of heaven and what are people doing in the grandstands? Cheering us on. You think there's a loud cheer on Super Bowl Sunday? Let me tell you something right now. You haven't heard cheering yet. Every one of their lives serves as a testimony and a witness telling you and telling me there's nothing better than to serve the Lord and finish the course he has for your individual life. Nothing better at all, period. You think about, for example, Noah. We talk about Noah, we talk about the flood. What was Noah doing before God spoke to him and said, build a boat, a ship, a massive ship. Because one day a flood's going to come and wipe out all humanity. And I need to protect and preserve human life, animal life, etc. What was he doing? I don't know. But I know this. When he got the call of God, he got off his own course. He got on his course with God. And he began building a boat, believing that God said something he had never seen before was going to occur. We believe it didn't rain in those days. Or snow. A mist came up out of the earth. Oh, I long for days like that, don't you? A mist came up out of the earth and watered all the vegetation, the plants, and et cetera, et cetera, providing water and everything. And so what happens with Noah? <clears throat> he gets on the right course. How long did it take him to build the boat? We don't really know exactly. But as he was on that course that God laid out for his life, there were scoffers, there were mockers, there were people that trying to influence him to stop what he was doing. I guarantee you, the devil, the world, and the flesh. I'm sure there were some days when his wife said, uh, Honey, what are you going to do today? And she looked at him and just said, or her, he looked at her, What do you think I'm going to do? Aren't you tired of all that building of that ship? Are you out of your mind? What are you doing? I'm staying the course, honey. I'm staying the course. So I don't know how long it took, but I guarantee you on the day when the flood started to come out of heaven, he looked at her and said, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad I finished the job and now we can get in and be safe? He did it for the saving of his house. It may have looked like along the way, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done in your life. You're crazy for doing it, but honey, I'm so glad you did. All of us here, all eight of us, Bible says a few were eight. All eight of us and all the animals that were there. 
that were spared. Why? Because he finished his course. Imagine if he didn't do it. And then you have a man named Abraham who leaves the comforts of the Ur of the Chaldees, his homeland, that's where he came from. He left the security of whatever position that he had there. He packs up his bags, takes as many family members as he could with him, and he goes to look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Hey, Noah, where are you going? I don't know. You have a ticket somewhere? No. Where are you going? That way. Why? God said, go that way. Look for a city whose builder and maker is God. And you talk about his journey. You talk about the trek along the way. You talk about the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, the valleys and the mountains that he had to go through to get to the end where finally we could read about him in the book of Luke that says, and when the rich man died, he went into hell. But when the beggar died, he was carried into Abraham's bosom. Oh, hallelujah. He went from a nobody to a somebody that brought others with him into his bosom in a place of comfort, peace, and joy, and safety, and protection. Aren't you glad he finished his course? And because out of his loins, we understand the Messiah came into the world. And then, what about this man by the name of Moses? Moses was on his own course, doing his own thing, minding his own business, there with the Pharaoh in Egypt. He had right at his fingertips a course that would offer him royalty, prestige, power, position, wealth. And the list goes on and on. Anything and everything any human being would like to have on this earth. All his. But what does he do? He gets off that glorious course in the natural. To do something that seems to be mindless unbelievable let's read about it first because I want to show us there's four statements or four words that I'm going to pull out of here to show us how we can stay on our course because this really explains how to do it more than anything else you ready for it by faith Moses when he was come to years refused everybody say refused we'll get to that in a minute to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing everybody say he chose or choosing, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming, everybody say esteeming. The reproach of Christ, greater riches, of, great, of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect, everybody say respect, unto the recompense of the reward. So first of all, we see the first word, he refused. Everybody say refused. We can either refuse or we can choose to do what God wants us to do. But here he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Let's put it this way. He refused royalty. He refused fame, fortune, prestige, power, position. He refused all that. Go back to the beginning with me in the Garden of Eden and let's take a look at Eve's life. She was told, if you partake of that tree, you'll have something better. She should have refused. Go look at Cain's life. He was told, if you do the right thing and offer the right sacrifice, 
it'll be well with you. He refused. Ananias and Sapphira, the devil dropped a thought in their hearts and minds that they could keep half the money. Hold it back. They refused to tell the truth. Didn't they? You want to stay on course? I want to stay on course? There's a lot of things we got to refuse. We got to refuse what the devil is putting in our heads. We've got to refuse what the influence of this world is telling us. The lust of the eyes and flesh and pride of life. All that are of the world that stand against God. We're to refuse the flesh and what it wants to do. Because the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And they contradict each other. They butt heads with each other. So refuse. We've got a lot to refuse in our lives. Look, when I first came to Christ and I first started walking with God and I started teaching a Bible study in my dad's little basement and we had about 30 people there coming at that time. And then I was going to go off to Ramah. I could have refused to leave the comforts of my home in Youngstown, Ohio. I could have refused to travel a thousand miles away to go to Bible school. I could have refused what God wanted me to do if I wanted to. But I had a fear of God. I had reverence for God. And even though others wanted me to stay there and have a church there, I refused to do what the devil was saying because you know what my boss told me? I worked in the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company. I ran a mill crane. And this is not bragging on myself, okay? You, you get that when I say this? Anybody ever work in a mill? Raise your hand if you worked in a mill. One of the most hated individuals in a, in a mill is a craneman. I'm telling you, no one liked crane men or women. I want to be safe here. But for some reason, when I went off to school to learn to run the crane, just like that. And so I was really skilled at running the crane. We're talking about people's lives are in danger. You make a wrong move, you'll kill somebody. There was a lift I had to make when we changed the high mill. The high mill was where they would put the pipe in and stretch the pipe out. We made seamless pipe. And that thing was so heavy during the mill change. When I would lift that up, we're talking about this big, massive EOT, electric tra traveling, overhead traveling crane, to pick that thing up. And the thing would only go up a smidgen at a time. It was so heavy. And there were men up on top guiding it 30 feet in the air. And if I made a wrong little move they're dead so my boss came up to me when I said I'm leaving to go to Bible school he said what I'm leaving to go to Bible school what do you mean I'm turning in my two week notice I got to go off to Bible school he said look please take a leave of absence we'll hold your job for you we want you back here I don't even know why I said it you know how sometimes you're prompted to, prompted to say things by the Holy Ghost I said to him, my foreman, his name is Bob. I said, Bob, I just know in my heart I will never walk to the doors of this mill ever again. So thank you, but no thank you. I'm leaving. I had the devil saying don't go. I had my family saying don't go. The flesh didn't want to go. It's too far away from Wedgwood Pizza. 
there was no way it was going to be that far away. Absolutely not. And if you think they make good pizza in Oklahoma, you got another thought coming. Forget it. I could have refused, but I didn't. I refused what the devil said. I refused what my flesh said. I refused what the world said. As he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Now listen to me. That's when you made good money in the mill. And we were working six and seven days a week. We're making pipeline, the Alaskan pipeline and all that. We're making pipe like you wouldn't believe. And I would get seven days a week overtime, etc., etc. I was making probably more money than people that came out of college at that time. So I could leave there and go to the comforts of Tornado Valley. Where there's nothing but snakes, rattlesnakes, and everything else for a minimum wage part-time. Doesn't that sound intriguing? Doesn't that sound inviting? So I refused to listen to the thoughts of the devil, the flesh, or the world. And the second thing was, what did Moses do? He chose to suffer affliction and persecution with the people of God. Oh yeah, we're going to find ourselves with tribulation in this world. Didn't Jesus say in the world you'll have what? Tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I chose to go there and say, I'm submitting myself to your will for my life. One of the things we talked about last week, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself means get, deny yourself the right to live independent of God. Two, Take up your cross means surrender your will to do the will of God. Three, follow me means he models what we should follow after. Let him be the model. Let's follow his example. Let's forget about the devil, the word, and the flesh. Let's look and keep our eyes upon our Savior, our Redeemer, and follow him. So Moses chose to suffer, if it need be, persecution and affliction. You know what? This life is not about luxury. It's not about having our own way. It's not about living where we want to live, doing what we want to do, making as money as we want to have, etc., etc., etc. I'll tell you what right now. There's nothing more important for us to realize the fact that those witnesses up there are testifying to the fact it doesn't matter what you have to give up on this planet to have God in your life. At the end of it all, it's glorious. Can you say amen? Amen. So, he chose to suffer persecution with the, with the people of God and affliction, esteeming, holding in high regard. As far as he was concerned, there's something more important than all that. What? The riches of Christ. Oh, thank God for the riches of Christ. He shed his blood for a purchased redemption. He provided for us. There's so much and so many riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he esteemed them higher than all the wealth, riches, royalty, prestige, power, position that Egypt had to offer. And it didn't matter what he had to suffer along the way. He esteemed that higher. Having a respect. Listen. Aretha Franklin isn't the only one that talks about respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And what did he respect? Everything that Jesus had to offer, he respected that more than anything else. He respected the recompense of the reward. 
In other words, here you are. You're an Olympian. You're vying for a gold medal. You work hard as you possibly can. You give up this. You give up that. You refuse this. You refuse that. You choose this and not that. You make that choice. Why? Because you have a desire. You esteem something higher than what you're giving up on this earth or in your personal physical life. You have a respect for a reward. And what's the reward? It's a gold medal. Thank God one day you're vying for it. You're running against somebody. You're going to get the reward and you're excited for it. Guess what? It's gone. And when you leave this planet, it is absolutely meaningless. Look at the temple, Lord. Look at, the, at that edifice. The beauty, the majesty, the grandeur of this beautiful edifice. What does Jesus say? Not one stone will be left on top of the other. And everything in the world, when he comes again and sets up his new kingdom, is going to be, when he puts up the new heavens and the new earth, Everything will melt by fire. Nothing will stand. This life is temporal, meaningless. When it comes to eternal things, it's going to be changed. In other words, Moses said, that's what I want. That's what I long for. That's why I refuse. That's why I choose. That's why I esteem. Because I have respect for the end result. The prize, the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what he was looking for. That's what he wanted. And then you think about the Apostle Paul. The man on a mission. This guy's full of enthusiasm. He's got zeal. Oh, I'm telling you, he is a firecracker. He's on fire. A powerful guy, educated guy, well-educated guy. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. He is somebody who says... Us considering the law above reproach. Who says that? That's who he is. But he says, you know what? That's garbage. All that's garbage for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I lay it all down for the excellency to know him, to experience him, the power of his resurrection, and if need be to have his glory manifested in my body while I'm walking on planet earth. I've not achieved that yet. I've not attained that yet. But I am striving for it. The mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus my Lord is what I'm after. And so I'm willing to do what? Refuse Judaism. Lay down my, all my degrees and all that I have that says who I am and toots my own horn. I am nothing that is nothing. He said by the grace of God I am who I am. And that's all there is to it. It's only by the grace of God we are who we are. In him we are a masterpiece. Workmanship. High quality workmanship. And every single one of us has a place and position in his family. And guess what? Moses got royalty. Moses got prestige. Moses got position. He got power. Not here on earth. But there in eternal glory. Amen. And the apostle Paul. Well, he just authored more than half of the New Testament. And what does he do? He refuses to follow what he was in and chooses to follow the one who gave his life for him. To follow Christ. To be the builder of the church. So his decision made him, listen, the second most persecuted person to ever walk the earth. Second only to Christ himself. When Christ was made sin on the, on the cross... That was the worst suffering and persecution that anybody could have ever encountered. 
But second to that, Paul, five times the cat of nine tails. Five once could kill a man. Five times, 39 lashes on his back with the cat of nine tails that ripped and shredded his body apart. Three times beaten with rods, usually on the feet to break the bones so he couldn't walk as a missionary. And the list goes on and on of his sufferings and persecutions that he faced. He refused to stay where he was at. He chose to follow the course that God had for his life. He esteemed the riches of Christ far better and he respected the reward. Can I quote you a verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 9? I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of a man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Now he's shown us some things by his spirit, the next verse says, but we haven't seen it all because Paul says we're looking through a glass darkly so can you imagine when your eyes are wide open? When you see the Lord like Isaiah, him high and lifted up and full of glory, his train filled the temple, the angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Oh, my brother and my sister, I'm telling you something this morning. This is the Holy Ghost all over me. We got to start refusing some things if we would have greater glory in this earth, in our lives. We got to start refusing the devil, refusing the flesh, refusing the world's influence and start choosing more of him. More of him. I want you, I'm setting aside what's good for me because I want to do what pleases you so I can have more of you. That's the next point, number two. Notice the next expression, lay aside. Well, what do we have to lay aside? Whatever it is that impedes running our race. Now, I've been to many track meets with my children over the years. I'll never forget this one track meet. I believe it was at Riverside, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't it at Riverside uh, when it was rain, sleet, snow? I'm at Western Pennsylvania weather. All in one, the course of one track meet. We're going like, hope it doesn't rain. Starts raining. Then sleeting. Then snowing. And you know, they dress in a track outfit. Nothing there, very little, right? You're bundled up until it's time to run the race. And then by the time she's ready to run a race, it's coming sideways. The wind is blowing, sleet, snow, a little bit of everything in the air. All at one time. Only in Western Pennsylvania can this happen. All at one time. And she's ready to run the race. I want to say, keep on your sweatsuit. <laughs> Use an umbrella. It was awful. It was awful for her, but it was awful for us just sitting there watching. I don't sit. I, I actually, sometimes I ran with, I ran on the outside of the, never mind. We won't even, we won't even go there. When she ran a 220 up in Moon, I went all the way around the other side of the track and I was standing on that side. I want to encourage her. Come on, honey, you can do it. Come on, honey, you can do it. And they're getting ready to start the race. I ran all the way down here. I got to the finish line before they did and I said, good job, honey, good job. She looked at me. <laughs> did you get translocated or what? How did you get over over here? I'm, I'm a little crazy when it comes to athletics, I think. And, but you know what? That's really good. It shifts over into spiritual things too. Like Paul said, I'm, I'm fighting, but I'm, I'm fighting as one to win, not to beat the air. You understand that? I'm a, like a boxer in training, I want to win. But what my point is, she wasn't going to run that race with a sweatsuit on. Why? It would impede her. 
It would slow her down. Now remember, you're running a race not just against the people that are there, but you're running against time. Because if you're going to get selected to go to the greater events, like you're going to go off to the uh, WPI finals or state finals, you're going to have good records and good time and all that. So she's not going to stay warm. She's going to strip it all off and then run the race. We have got to do the same thing. Ask yourself the question, what's impeding my, my progress? And three things. The devil will hurl some, hurl some things this way. You know, you're running on your course. All of a sudden, you're on your course. You're just minding your own business, doing your own thing. And guess what? Who's the pace setter? Jesus. You're following him. And it's not anybody. I'm not running against somebody else. You're running against yourself. It's your race to run. Nobody's against you. You're on the course that he laid out for you. Now you got the devil saying this. You got the world saying that. And you got the flesh saying this. And so what do we do? Never forget this. This is, this is going to be embedded in your heart and mind, I believe, for the rest of your Christian life. Refuse. 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 Only you, only I can refuse what the devil's saying for ourselves, what the world's saying for ourselves, what the flesh is saying for ourselves. Refuse, refuse, refuse to get off that course. When the devil says, look, here's another path. Take it. You have a better life. Refuse. Don't believe the lie. When the world says, let's go this way. Everybody else is doing it. You know, that's happened to the church. I even believe in worship and all that services. I like to get back to old time worship when you just want to come and see God move. Forget all the entertainment. You know, we're told today, if you don't bring all this stuff in, all the hoopla and all this stuff, so that the young people could be, you know, excited about going to church. If you've got to be excited to come to church and have some hoopla, like smoke and cloud and fog and, and lights and all that, I'm going to present you one thing to come to choose for. His name is Jesus. 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 Come for Jesus. You've got all that stuff in the world out there. You can have all the entertainment that you want out there in the world. You can go to a movie. You can go to a game. You can go to sports. Anything you want to do is out there. But when you come to church, I just want to see Jesus. We should all just want to see Jesus. What do you say? Lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily besets easily. Why? Unbelief is one of the big ones. Fear, worry, anxiety, unforgiveness. The list goes on and on. Bitterness, animosity, malice. It goes on and on. All those things the enemy wants to weigh us down with. Guilt, condemnation, inferiority. You know, all my life growing up, I was always inferior. How much time do we have? Always inferior. I always had low self-esteem and low self-worth. And I think it started when I was really, really young. And, and I'm not saying this against my father or anything like that. But, you know, we understand these things are impacting I remember when I was a young kid, and we were painting our basement. It was all block at that time. And we were painting it. My, I should say we. My dad was painting it with this sealer kind of paint that you keep the moisture out. And my dad was always a hard worker. Worked in a mill, worked at home, worked two jobs. Helped in construction with people was his second job and all that. And so he's painting away, painting away, painting away. How many of you know the most annoying thing when you're painting like that? is your four-year-old, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help. Or five-year-old, I'm going to help. Daddy, let me do some. 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 Right? 
So he, finally he got so annoyed by me, he got the paintbrush and smacked it on my arm. I had paint all over my arm like this. He goes, you like painting now? I went crying, running away. My mother about to pop him in the head. And then one day he wanted to play barber. Why was I the guinea pig? I don't understand why I was the guinea pig. He's playing barber, right? He's going to give us haircuts, save money. So I'm sitting there, you know, I'm just a little kid. I moved. I must have moved. And I moved. Whatever he was doing, he must have took a little chunk out of my hair. So he just shaved me. My mother came down. I was bald. <laughs> Mike, what you do to Billy? I'm just sitting. I don't even know what he did. I'm just, I can't have a mirror. I had some issues. <laughs> then one day we went to McDonald's. He screamed at the person for putting too much ice in a cup. That person was a, a, a peer of mine at school. I was embarrassed. 50 years later, he did the same thing at McDonald's. But I'll never forget this also. You don't realize how these things really stay with you and impact you. You could choose to dwell on them or just let them go. I've let them go. But one day, we were adding on to our home. And I had to get up on the roof and saw a piece of lumber. So I get up there and I'm sawing this piece of lumber. He said, you ain't doing it right. Get down there. Chuck, you get up there and cut that thing. He gets up there, he goes, same thing I was doing. He goes, that's how you do it. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, was I doing it any differently than you? He said, no. <laughs> you talk about guilt? You talk, I mean, you talk about inferiority complex? Yeah. I'll be honest with you, that stayed with me for probably all my life because it was like, okay, you go ahead, you do it. Go ahead, you, go ahead, you do it. Go ahead, you do it. Yeah, whatever you want. Do it your way, whatever. Because I never really felt like I was secure in myself. That I could do something that would be pleasing. That would be the right way. And it's really haunted me all of my life. And that's why when he, the Lord called me and said, you're going to be the next pastor of that church. I went, huh? What? I'll never, I'll never forget driving up the brick road on Penn, 7th and Penn. Coming up 7th Street to where the old church is in Midland. That little brick road. Oh my goodness, I was shaking in my boots and said... Really? This is what you want me to do? Honestly? I don't want to do this. Remember, I don't speak in front of people. Maybe he didn't hear me. I don't remember. But I don't want to do this. I was shaken. I said, Lord, you teach me. I love the people and I'll teach them faith. But that's all I know. You do the rest. You do the rest. What I'm saying is this. There's a lot we've got to lay aside. Coming from the devil, the world, and the flesh. And if we let them keep us off our course, they will. But you know what? If you got off course, get back on. We're not going to go through all this. You realize that. Forget that. Listen. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. We need the mercy of God. We need the forgiveness of God. None of us would be able ever to finish our course if it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ. We follow him. He's our model. He, he's our pace setter. 
We're to walk even as he walked. What a mandate he has given us, right? Walk as I've walked. Really, Lord, that's what you want me to do? Walk as you've walked? Yes. The works that I do shall you do also, and greater than these shall you do because I go to the Father. I will make a way for you. I'll give you the ability. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the grace. Can you say amen? He will give us all that we need to do what he has called us to do, every single one of us. So let's all stand together, and let's give him a praise offering, and let's thank him for his grace. Let's thank him for his glory. Let's thank him for his power, his equipping that will enable us to do what he's called us to do, no matter what it is that he has called us to do.